thinking, reason with light and the meaning that sways her radical ways that favor the many rooms she roams. There is where you find no answer and questions. Hi everyone, it's Jennifer Neundorfer from January Ventures. Thanks for joining me for Ready Set, my podcast to demystify the early stages of founding a startup. I'm excited to share this episode. It's a really candid discussion with great insight into not only how to develop an early idea, but also how to determine if you're the right person to turn that idea into a company. Plus, it's loaded with concrete advice for founders, including some great productivity hacks. With that, let's get into it. I'm thrilled to welcome Tammy Sun as my guest today on Ready, Set. Tammy is the co-founder and CEO of Carrot Fertility, the leading global fertility benefits provider for employers. Carrot is quickly becoming a household name, and many of you may even be users of their platform. Carrot's clinically managed program includes egg freezing, IVF, donor and gestational carrier services, and adoption. They've also launched CarrotRx, Carrot Pregnancy, and the Carrot Card to round out their offering. Carrot has raised $40 million in venture capital from leading funds like F-Prime, CRV, Maven Ventures, Precursor, and Uncork. Carrot supports over 200 companies in more than 50 countries across the globe. We are recording this episode in March of 2021, a year into the global pandemic. Carrot's mission to improve access to high-quality fertility care and to reduce the emotional and financial strain for employees who need it is even more important today, given the spike in demand for fertility treatments that we've seen in the last year. Tammy, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's so good to see you. Thank you. It is great to have you here. Tammy, I want to jump right in and talk about your background and really your motivation for starting Carrot. I know that your motivation comes from a deeply personal place. And I was wondering if you can start by sharing what Carrot does and why it was so important to you that this company exists. Sure. Happy to. Let's see. So I'll start with with the just fundamental question of, of what Carrot does and go from there. So our, our mission is pretty simple. Our mission is fertility care for all. And what that means is, you know, access to high quality care, regardless of age, sex, sexual orientation, race, gender identity, marital status, or geography. And I'm definitely what you might call an accidental founder. It was never my intention to uh, start a company and be a CEO. It was through a personal experience through the healthcare system that I discovered this massive gap between what people need and increasingly consider a fundamental part of healthcare and what was covered and included. I went through my own fertility treatments, three rounds of egg freezing, and discovered that it was one of those areas of healthcare that no one had really looked at or thought about, maybe ever. I mean, IVF is actually not a super new technology. It's been around for about 40 years, but it's always been considered outside of the healthcare system. It's always been considered almost like a luxury consumer good. You know, I, I went through the process myself and, you know, I often talk about about my experience as, as relatively privileged and, and lucky. You know, I had, you know, $40,000 in a savings account that I could use to spend on this aspect of healthcare that I thought was really important most Americans don't have $500 or one pay period. And so it became really obvious to me that 
if we wanted to bring fertility care to millions more people, not just women, but men, LGBTQ people, you know, address some of the racial disparities that exist in healthcare, of which, you know, fertility is not exempt, then we would really have to build a scalable technology software solution for employers that made it easy for them to customize a solution and and give coverage to their employees. I think, you know, employers are very much a key in this equation. You know, in in the United States, more than 170 million Americans get their health care through their jobs, through employers. And so if you believe, which which we do, that fertility care should be a standard part of healthcare along with medical, dental, vision, and fertility, then it's super important that we make this easy for employers. So that's that's kind of how we got to the solution. We looked at a whole host of other product ideas before we landed on uh, NHR and benefit solution. I'm happy to sort of talk about that too. That's really interesting, Tammy, to hear where your personal connection to the company's mission and vision came from. I think that personal motivation is such a key factor in any founder's journey. One thing that was interesting was you mentioned you're an accidental founder. How did you first get exposed to the world of startups? And how did you then translate your personal passion for the space into the motivation to actually start a company? Because starting a company is really different than thinking hypothetically about some solutions in a space. Yeah, that's a great question. So when I say an accidental founder, I think, you know, there, there are lots of different ways to become a founder and a CEO. Some some founders, and this is a, a completely legitimate approach, which is like you, you're looking for, you're testing different problems, you're looking for something that you want to do and want to build. That wasn't my case. I sort of stumbled on a problem, which was a gap in healthcare that I thought was something that a lot of people would consider was a problem, like the way that I did. But more than the solution, before I even got to sort of the solutioning, trying to figure out like, okay, well, how would I solve this problem? I just became completely absorbed by the challenge itself. I became completely almost in love with the problem. And even before it was obvious that this would be an enterprise solution, even before it was obvious that it would be B2B or that we we were we would not do direct-to-consumer, I was captivated by the technology, by the addressability, by the growth of the market, and by the really ability to impact tens of millions of people if we were successful. And so for the first, I would say six or eight months, I wasn't really solutioning anything. I was deep in research. So I was reading all the medical papers. I was talking to a ton of doctors and others in the fertility space. I, you know, was going to conferences where I was like the only non, you know, clinician sort of sitting in the room trying to understand, you know, what are the advancements and what are the limitations? um, What's on the horizon five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, it became really obvious that the, the problem was interesting to me. And then I sort of went through a period where I, you know, I really considered both emotionally and analytically, like, am I the right founder to address this problem? Is this something that I'm going to, you know, really invest in for the next 10 years of my life? And do I have a particular 
point of view on the world that doesn't exist that I think should exist? Am I the right person? Do I have the right approach? Can I build the right team to do this? I didn't know anything about Silicon Valley. I didn't know anything about starting companies. I didn't know anything about investors. I didn't know that there was a thing where you could be an executive in residence at a fund and they would pay you to do this research, you know? And so I spent like forty, fifty thousand dollars of my own savings, you know, after I quit my job, you know, going through this process. And so it was really very much a cold start for me in terms of in terms of being a founder. What really sort of allowed me to stay connected was just being really in love with a problem and also being very, very close to benefit leaders and HR leaders. It was the one thing where for almost a year and a half, whenever I asked an employer benefits leader to have a conversation about this topic, I never got a no. It was just a full year and a half of saying yes, not that they would buy the product, but that they wanted to have a conversation about it. They wanted to give me feedback about it. They wanted to tell me about, you know, just last week when somebody had walked into their office and asked about, you know, this or that topic. And so we knew that we were onto something in in, in those early days. Tammy, I love what you said about just being fully in love with this problem and the opportunity. That must have been so much fuel for you in those early days. And it's clear that it continues to, to give you that same sort of energy and motivation for what you're building with Carrot. Everything you mentioned is such an important process for founders to go through, to be honest with themselves about the opportunity and then their, their commitment and role and unique insight in going after that. I know that you know, before you started Carrot, you were running partnerships at Evernote. And I want to talk a little bit about what that was like when you jumped out and, and left the security of you know stable company like Evernote and started your own company. It's clear you had done a lot of the, the research and the self-reflection needed to make that leap. But how did it feel and how did you fully get comfortable making such a big transition? In looking back, I remember quitting my job because I wasn't actually doing my job anymore. I was waking up every day, thinking about this problem, spending, as I said, a ton of time in the literature, a ton of time in the in, in reading and learning. And I had to quit my job because I wasn't actually performing my duties. <laughs> you know, I was taking time off to fly to different conferences or, you know, do different things. And so it was an eventuality. It had to happen. Um, this thing had completely captivated me and, and I didn't I didn't really have a choice. And frankly, I, I wouldn't suggest that people really do this without, without having a really, really strong reason why, unless they're really compelled to. Because, you know, as I said, I... I probably spent over $50,000 of my own money, you know, just during that sort of six to eight month period doing this without thinking like, is this really going to happen? Right. Is this really going to be a successful business? And at the time, I don't know if you remember, but if you, if you rewind like four years, egg freezing in particular was, was something that people were talking a lot about, but it was still considered very niche. It was still considered something that only a small number of people might be interested. And it was still something that people couldn't quite see as mainstream healthcare. And so there were a lot of initial challenges with regards to sizing the opportunity that were, you know, that that had to be overcome in those early days. But in terms of leaving that job, I, I it, it was less of leaving and it was more like I couldn't actually stay. <laughs> 
I love that, Tammy. That makes a ton of sense. When you started Carrot, you did it with your co-founder, Julie. And I believe you met at one of these fertility conferences that you were traveling all around to, to attend. How did you two begin to test out your relationship? And what about that relationship convinced you it would work? And, and embedded in that is like, what advice would you give to founders who are starting, considering whether to start a company with co-founders versus taking a solo path? Yeah. So the my, my original, my first co-founder was Dr. Asma Ahmed. She's a fertility doctor and she's the one I met at, um, at, a, at a medical conference years ago. And we were both sitting in, I was one of the only non-clinical people at the conference and we were, I, I had attended this session on um, this breakout session on affordable IVF, right? How, how, to, how to dramatically cut the cost of IVF through sort of um, new technologies. There's a whole, a whole host of things around sort of what you can do around the embryology lab and, and all sorts of things. So it was, it was a conference about that. And I sat down and I saw a woman sitting next to me with a, with a name tag saying UCSF from San Francisco. And struck up a conversation. I said, "Hey, I'm from San Francisco too. You know, do you want to talk? Do you want to meet? Do you want to um, do you want to collaborate when 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 we get back to the Bay Area?" And she said yes. So we started meeting up like once a week at a at a coffee shop and trying to get to know each other and sharing ideas. I think what I would what I would say to founders when thinking about how to how to think about co-founders or how to think about your founding team is. You know, my my sort of co-founding team included an engineer, it included a doctor, and it included Julie, who you mentioned earlier, who was um, you know one of the early employees at Zenefits, so insurance benefits, etc. And it was a pretty deliberate attempt on my part just to bring all of the necessary sort of talent and DNA into sort of the first cohort of people who would build the company, right? We needed, we needed somebody who could code. We needed somebody who understood the medicine and the science and the technology. And then we needed um, somebody to work with me on sort of the business side. I think there is a myth that you have to have co-founders in order to start a company. And it is certainly true that you need a team in order to start a company, you can't, this is not a solo venture, but I would sort of challenge the idea that you have to have a co-founder in order to start. Um, you have to bring in the necessary talent in order to get from zero to one, but you don't have to have co-founders in order to get started. So I wouldn't, I, if there, particularly if there are female founders out there sort of thinking about new business models and and can I do this and, and I don't have a co-founder. There are definitely challenges if you don't have somebody who can code, for example, who can help you build a product. That is definitely you know something that you have to solve. And it's part of being a CEO, part of being a founder is like figuring out how to solve these problems, right? And increasingly as you get bigger, they're just essentially people problems. So you, you have to figure that out. But I wouldn't limit yourself to thinking, hey, just because I don't have a founder doesn't mean I don't have a viable idea. There are ways to bring ideas and products to market as a solo founder. That's such important advice, Tammy, because I think so often founders get asked about their co-founder. But the question is so much broader. It really is about who is on that founding team. And that slight shift in mindset for a founder, I think, could be really empowering. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Yeah. I'm also really impressed with your focus in the early days on this this market research. You mentioned it was like at least six to eight months of just really intensive research with 
HR and benefits leaders. Mm -hmm. And this is such an important priority in the early days, this early market validation work. You've mentioned this this market discovery and your ability to create feedback loops around the, the problem and opportunity you were addressing. And I'm curious if you can speak a little bit more to how you leverage those feedback loops into true market insight and then how that shaped your approach in the early days. Yeah. You know, there are there are co-founders, there are founding teams, and then there are founding um, customers. And for our founding customers, I think one of the most important things we discovered in those early days was how underserved the mid-market was. And setting up sort of processes and systems within an early team to make sure that you are getting customer feedback, but then also reading that customer feedback appropriately. So what I mean by that is like, there's the top layer of of the actual feedback of do this, and then I'll buy it. But then there's another layer of feedback where you have to be able to sort of understand the insight of what they're saying without them having to actually say it. So it's not the customer's job to solution for you. It's not the customer's job to like think about the feature that they need in order for this to be successful. It's your job to do that. And so sometimes, so what we did very early on well was like we set up a, a way, you know, an understanding of how to understand and, and process what employers were saying without making it a linear line of if you do this, then I'll then I'll buy. Because what that allowed us to do was be able to say, okay. The fundamental theme of what employers are saying is that existing products are too clunky, they're too expensive, and it's not a great member experience, right? So how do we solve that for them in ways that they can't even imagine? An example of that would be a couple of years ago, we released a a carrot card. You know, it's a debit-like card. It's a physical card like you would get from your bank or an FSA or HSA tip card. And that card essentially makes it super easy for members um, and employers to manage the way that people access the financial benefit. You can go, you swipe the card at a fertility clinic. It works only at that fertility clinic. It doesn't work at Starbucks. It doesn't work at, um, it doesn't work at Walmart, but it was a really important way for us to get through some of the early challenges that employers were seeing and employees were seeing with regards to how to access the financial benefit. We also, you know, listened to our employers when they told us that it was really important to have global access for this product. And so that's, I mean, we're the global leader right now. We have, you know, 50 plus countries where we serve large U.S. multinationals across a, a very complex set of healthcare systems, not just in the U.S., but around the world. And we did that in partnership with our founding customers and really sort of understood what they're trying to solve for. Like, why is global parity important? What is the difference between parity and equal benefits? How much does that matter? And so we started to see a bunch of themes. And so, um, you know, which is, which is how we got to where we are today. But I would say, you know, staying very close to feedback and understanding how to read it uh, is really important. That really resonates. It's really tempting to sort of stop at the, the confirmation bias level. Someone says, oh, yeah this is a problem and we would use that sort of solution, but to really get to the second and third order layers to, to get to the motivation and, and the richness of that feedback makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So Tammy, with that, you know, after getting all of that feedback, how did you win over those first 
customers as a small company? Well, I mean, we did YC and one of the things I really like about YC is just their their philosophy of just build build something people want. I, I think that is just fundamentally right and fundamentally true. I think we we did less of like winning, winning over customers and more of just solutioning for them towards what they want and where they were underserved. The mid-market continues to be dramatically underserved when it comes to fertility benefits. And that's sort of, you know, it's a big part of why we've established a market leadership position uh, in the mid-market and increasingly in the enterprise. And it's really just about understanding what they want and less about winning them. I think, you know, we, we went directly to employers. And so we started selling directly to benefit leaders and HR leaders, but we also, you know, were smart about how we established our channels early on. So even though those would be a little bit of a longer lead time, establishing channels with brokers and consultants and others in the space turned out to be an important investment, uh, even in the early days. And so, you know, thinking about how to how to triage the different what are the different approaches to your customer and unlocking revenue was um, was a big part of how we thought about things early on. Tammy, you were on the bleeding edge of a host of companies that are now selling various types of benefits into HR. We see a lot of them starting mm-hmm. up today at the very earliest stage. Yeah. Do you have any advice to those companies about how to approach the HR buyer particularly in those early days? You're absolutely right that in the last four years that we've been engaged with HR leaders, there has been an explosion of products that they have the opportunity to buy. The direct to employee, you know, the, the employer based healthcare products have certainly taken off, and fertility is, uh, as you said, at the front of that pack which is a great opportunity for founders, but it's also a huge challenge in terms of how you break through to make your product and your value proposition very clear. And what I would say is two things. One, you have to work your network. So you have to figure out who you can partner with and bring onto your side so that you have shortcuts to decision makers. So that's, that's just like something you have to figure out as a founder. Uh, so that's thing number one. And I would say thing number two is we've always been super focused on the business case of the product. So how do we help you as a benefits leader solve your business challenges from a, you know, from a financial perspective, from um, cost savings around the health plan, from um, talent acquisition and retention goals, really focus in on what is your customer's business goal and how do you help them achieve that? And think, getting really tight on some of those stories will help you sort of elevate to what is top of mind. Those are great insights, Tammy. And I know that a lot of our listeners are going to be jotting down notes there, given that it is becoming an increasingly popular way to go to market. I want to shift gears a bit to talk about the capital raising piece of Mm -hmm. all of this and starting Mm -hmm. a business. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about your first raise and and touch Mm -hmm. on how far along you were, how much you raised and how you generated momentum at the earliest stage? It's interesting how much the, how much the, um, the financing market has changed in, in four years. You know, the, the first raise that we did was incredibly difficult. It was 
probably the hardest raise, you know, that I've ever done. And it's because of, of a few things. One, the market opportunity was just not as visible to most people. Most people couldn't see it. As I said, they, they still thought this might be a niche part of healthcare. This was not super applicable to most people. It'd be a nice cottage industry. What's the word that people use? Like, you know, carrot would be a nice lifestyle business. At the same time that all of the benefit leaders were saying yes to meetings, um, you know, a lot of the financing world and investor community was saying no. But, you know, we knew, I knew that we were onto something because we were getting yeses from the customers. You know, the first million dollars that I raised was from really true believers. Uh, so, you know, I don't, I don't know if you the folks from the hashtag angels group that they, you know, Jana over there has been phenomenal. She was, you know, one of the first dollars in the company and really believed Charles Hudson over at Precursor was our first real institutional investor. And you have to find the people who sort of see the vision and believe that the world is going to sort of bend in the way that you think it will if you are successful. We went through just so many no's, so many no's. But we we got to a point where our success in the in the market started resonating and started getting attention. And then in the subsequent year, we were invited to the the YC batch, and from there, you know, things started rolling. But the early days were were definitely really painful. So Tammy. I'm curious, what is the thing that you know now that you'd wish you'd known earlier in your career? Oh, good question. I think, so I'll I'll talk a little bit just from the perspective of female founders, uh, if there are any out there who are listening. I think one of the things that I really notice about female founders and I've seen in myself over the years is an, an expectation that you have to be more ready than you are in order to do it. I understand that instinct. I I have it in myself as well. But what I would encourage people to do is really just get started. It doesn't have to be perfect for you to take the next step and learn more and then take the next step and learn more. You don't have to have line of sight to like super, super clear line of sight to the goal or the, or a very sort of specific Endpoint, right? You don't know. You don't have to know today exactly how you're going to get to ten and thirty million in ARR. You just have to figure out how you're going to get to half a million, and then you're how you're going to get to a million, right? And if you believe and really understand the size of the market opportunity, that's all you need to know right now. And so, what I would encourage founders to do is, you know, once you've sort of gotten to the point of having conviction that you're the right person to build this company, and this company is a company that is worthwhile existing in the world is to then break it down into much more digestible steps and just to take each step at a time and and not be afraid to do so. That's such great advice for founders who are just starting out or prospective founders who are thinking about taking that step. One more question around your advice for founders. Mm -hmm. Any tips on productivity hacks? Obviously, time as a founder is so limited and there's so much on your plate. Any, Any tips that you would share with founders looking to make the most out of their time and their bandwidth? I think the most important sort of productivity hacks that I found in the last, I would say, two, two years is focusing on recovery. Most founders know how to sprint. And I think underappreciating the value of recovery makes your overall baseline sort of lower. And so figure out your sleep. 
you know, like very, very basic, figure out like how to sleep. And like, there's a whole, there's a whole way that you, that you can think about that. Figure out like, you know, figure out nutrition, figure out how to eat, you know, figure out how to exercise. I mean, these are super, super basic things, but it is incredibly important for running this type of marathon that you know how to, you know how to sprint, you know how to, you know, how to go into overdrive, but you've got to be able to figure out also how to take care of yourself so that you have runway for, you know, for the, for the outer years, frankly, it's really, really basic, but those are the the things that I would tell people is is not to forget about sort of the way that you sleep, the way that you eat, the way that you move. I'm so glad you mentioned that with one of our previous guests, we were talking about the myth of startups being fueled by Mountain Dew and ramen and sleepless nights. And that really isn't a recipe for long-term sustainability. So it's such a good point. Yeah. Tammy, this has been such a busy year for Carrot. You launched a number of products, including Home, Carrot at Home, Carrot RX, Carrot yeah. Pregnancy. There's so much exciting stuff that you guys are doing. Where is Carrot today? And what are you excited most for what's ahead? Well, we are definitely in a in another hyper growth phase. We have seen tremendous interest in fertility benefits from mainstream employers over the past 12 months. And, you know, today we have, I think, more than 220 customers in 50 countries around the world. You know, we're going to, you know, we're growing aggressively in terms of adding to the team and all of that. But I think, you know, where we want to be is to be, you know, many steps closer to our goal and our mission, which is making sure that tens of millions more Americans and people in this country and folks around the world are able to access high quality fertility care, regardless of age, race, sex, sexual orientation, gender, marital status. And so our goal is really clear. It's really specific, which is make fertility care a fundamental part of healthcare. And doing that in this country means partnering with payers and employers. So we're going to, we're going to keep doubling down on that. Tammy, it's so exciting to see how you've taken this idea and passion for the fertility space and built it into this market-leading company that is helping you. so many people worldwide. It's it's really an inspiring story. And I so appreciate you joining us today and being so candid about the journey and your experience along the way and what you've learned. I know that our listeners are really going to get so much value from this, this discussion. And I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thank you. And I'll just say one one more quick thing. We're hiring across the entire business. So, you know, engineering, products, business operations, sales, customer success, member operations. So if there are talent, talented folks out there who uh, want to join us on this journey and believe in our mission, we would love, love to hear from you. So you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter. Feel free to DM me um, at Tammy Sun. And, or, or on LinkedIn, Amazon, and um, we, we'd love to chat. You heard it here, folks. Tammy's DMs are open. It would be an amazing opportunity to join the Carrot team. So definitely check it out if you're interested. Thank you so much for being here today, Tammy. Oh, I really appreciate your time. And uh, I think what you're doing at January Ventures is phenomenal. So I was, I was really happy to be invited and uh, appreciate the time. Thanks for listening to my discussion with Tammy. She is such an inspiration to founders everywhere and has such an honest perspective on how to get ready to set out and start something. If you're a prospective customer, potential hire, 
or just a carrot enthusiast. You can learn more at get-carrot.com or go to Twitter and follow at Carrot Fertility or at Tammy As always, Summer. I love hearing from you. Thanks to those of you who've shared questions and topics you want me to explore, as well as people you want to hear from. Keep the suggestions coming. You can DM me at Twitter. I am at JKK. And you can also follow me there to get a sneak peek at future guests. Thanks so much.